welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 162. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week's show is sponsored again by Happy Birthday Robot, the fun storytelling party game for clever kids, gamer parents, and fun classrooms. Two to five players, ages eight and up. The whole game can be played during a lunch period. You can get a copy of the game for a measly ten bucks, and your pre-order will allow a free bundle of the game to be sent to a library or after-school program. Good cause. Cool game. Players take turns rolling robot dice, which, mixed with their own creativity, guide the story construction process. Your kids and students should be writing drabbles in no time with an introduction to creative writing like this. Check it out at www.danielsolis.com forward slash happy birthday robot, which you'll of course find linked in our show notes. Hey, and speaking of drabbles, let's get it on. This week's Drabble is called The Wall of Gloves by Matt Moore. By day, Matt Moore is a mild-mannered public servant working for the Canadian Federal Government, A. By night, he writes science fiction and horror with work in On Spec and Tesseracts 13 and upcoming work in Tesseracts 14 and an e-book from Damnation Books. By later at night, he's the marketing director for Cheezine Publications, a small Canadian publisher, where he's often confused with co-publisher Brett Alexander Savory, but that's just because they look exactly the same. Raised in small-town New England, a place rich with legends and ghost stories, this story comes partially from his mother's instructions that the number of gloves that he should have in his pockets should match how many hands he has. He lives in Ottawa, Ontario, and he blogs at mattmorewrites.wordpress.com. The second most terrifying thing is the Wall of Gloves. Winter ones, thick and heavy. A white leather golfer's. Multicolor woolen mittens. A lady's white silk elbow length. All lovingly tacked to the barn's walls. So many. Too many to be from. Where do you get them all? I pant. Some I find on the street or bus. Others... His gaze flits to the white elbow length. I keep. He raises the cleaver, focusing on the hands shackled to the table. I turn away, shutting my eyes so I won't have to look on the most terrifying thing. The wall of hands. Our feature story this week is called Bird Watcher, and it comes to us from Garth Upshaw. Garth lives in Portland, Oregon, of course, with his super genius wife and three precocious children. When he's not breeding tarantulas, he's riding his bike in the driving rain. His stories have appeared in Clark's World, Realms of Fantasy, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and other great zines. So, without further ado, we bring you Bird Watcher by Garth Upshaw. poisoning crows the day the aliens arrived. They're smarter than you might think, 
crows, not aliens. They don't go for any of the easy stuff anymore. I had some good roadkill, two squirrels and a raccoon, but I couldn't work up any enthusiasm for using it. The crows would caw and peck at the corpses as carefully as a dowager entering her bath. Nowadays, I had to mash decon into a virulent green powder and mix it with honey or peanut butter and spread it on the underside of a flashy piece of metal. Crows, they love the sparkle and the glitter, and they must know it's bad, but they pick it up anyway. My mom's backyard stretches towards a narrow gully choked with blackberry and old man's beard. Right before the ground drops out from underneath you, a gnarled old walnut tree stands guard. The trunk's as solid as a cement pillar, but covered with head-sized lumps that weep a yellow sap, trapping twigs, dead leaves, and insects in a sticky gruel. The branches are treacherous, thick as regular trees, and jut out at all angles like arthritic fingers. They break off with no warning, crushing the ferns and hosta underneath. The crows, they love the walnut tree, gathering like impudent black leaves, squawking and shouting in a raucous tumult. That day, I watched from mid-yard hidden behind a sheet of gray, weathered plywood I'd cut a viewed slit in. A faded pink and green lawn umbrella cast an oval of welcome shade, but kept the air close and hot. Binoculars pressed against my sweaty face. I shifted in the folding chair, thighs constrained by the unyielding metal arm supports, and took a long swallow of tepid cherry slurpee. The sun burned a hole in the sky like the business end of a welding torch, flashing off the pieces of mom's hand mirror that I'd shattered and arranged on a low, wide stump. It's not worth doing a project unless you do it right, and I'd placed each piece with an aesthetic eye towards the whole effect, a landing area free of glass on the side of the stump away from me, shards tilted different directions to send reflected sunlight 360 degrees, a central triangular piece propped so as to give a curious crow a chance for self-examination. The back of each deadly shard was slathered with my peanut butter concoction. A dozen big crows descended from the tree, cawing and gabbling. They pranced around the stump, hopping with wings half-spread, cocking their heads at the bits of mirror. Their eyes drank in the light, black and shiny as a new coat of paint. An ant crawled up my right calf, and I reached down, slowly, slowly, and ground it against my leg. The sky flashed, orange and purple, like a year's worth of sunsets had been dumped cattywampus and stirred with a big stick. I looked up, surprised and mystified, purple and orange, my high school colors. It was afternoon, four o'clock at the absolute latest. Doyle? Doyle, are you outside? Mom's high voice cut through the backyard like a mosquito's whine. What was that flash of light? 
I know you're there. Crows flew back to the tree, their flapping wings sounding like half-hearted applause. I waited to answer, irritated that she'd violated my space. I'm bird watching. I finally yelled, twisting in my chair so I could see her. She stood at the sliding glass doors, bleached blonde hair cut in an expensive retro style. Doyle, could you come up here? Her fingers tugged at her bathrobe, pulling it tighter around her surgically enhanced figure. Something's gone terribly wrong with the power. She cocked her head at the swirling colors still leaking from the sky. What's all that? Northern lights? I sighed, levering myself out of my chair and letting the binoculars swing free from around my neck. Don't be stupid, we're too far south. A wave of petulance swept over me. I trudged towards the stump. The afternoon was ruined. I drew a tarp over my project, knocking a shard out of alignment in spite of my care. I tucked the corners down and made my way up the lawn to the house, feeling like I was wading through hot syrup. I stopped on the back patio, peeling my t-shirt away from my belly and flapping the cloth to get a slight cooling effect. A frown wrinkled the perfect skin of Mom's forehead. If you'd go on a diet, get some exercise, or maybe go out with a nice girl. You said the power was down. How'd your interview go? She flashed her white teeth at me. For Mr. Perfect SAT scores, the job should be a breeze. I turned and pressed a finger to close one nostril, blew a vicious stream of yellow snot out of my nose. Most of it landed on the wilted geraniums that fringed the patio, and I used my t-shirt to wipe the rest off the side of my face. What do I need money for? Mom flinched and retreated inside. Dad will be home soon, and I've been planning a pork roast. Cool air poured from the house. Roger loves his dead pig. He wants to be your friend. Mom backed into the kitchen and took an invigorating swig from a tall glass. Ice rattled. Who needs friends? I followed her inside, leaving the door open behind me. Mom pushed several buttons on the stove. See? Nothing. Detente, then. I flicked a light switch to no effect. I'll check the breakers. Thanks, dear. I know I could count on you. Mom kissed the air near my head. I rummaged through the utility drawer, found a flashlight, and checked the batteries. The breaker box was on the far side of the garage wall, an obstacle course I was loath to traverse in the dark. Wait here. The hot, stale air of the garage sucked my remaining energy away. I played the yellow flashlight beam over the cobwebs on a jet ski that blocked the breaker box, analyzing my path through the detritus of aborted recreational attempts to bring our family together. I just flipped the metal latch when a voice whispered in my ear, Hello, Doyle. I jumped, knocking a box of deck screws clattering across the cement floor. A clean-cut man of about forty dressed in brown slacks and a purple and orange button-down shirt. 
stood beside me. I spluttered in surprise. Who the hell are you? We arrived today. He nodded his head. Every hair stayed in place. All at once, from far away, for everybody. He smiled, teeth shining in the gloom like a row of mirrors. How'd you get in? I inched my hand closer to a plumber's wrench. We bring greetings, gifts for you. He held out a glowing white egg, holding my hand around its warmth, pressing the top with his thumb. I sucked in my breath. The garage had vanished. I stood on a beach, waves swishing in and swirling around my ankles. The cooled water splashed to my knees. My arms felt firm and strong. A bright orange frisbee sailed over my head, and I jumped, catching it one-handed and flicking it back before landing. My real father laughed and ran into the surf, diving into an oncoming wave after the flying disc. See? The man's smile gleamed in the darkness. You can choose any time. He let go of the egg, pressing its smooth heaviness into my hand, before stepping aside and walking away, growing smaller and smaller, without ever leaving the garage until he winked out and was finally gone. I stumbled backwards, abandoning the breaker box. My heart beat so hard I thought my chest would burst. I pushed the door to the house open, brushing spiderwebs from my face with the hand that still held the egg. My mother stood in the hallway, hair pressed flat on one side of her head. I looked away from her open bathrobe, not wanting to see more. She raised her arm. An egg, twin to mine, glowed at me from her hand. Tears leaked from her eyes. I'm sorry, Doyle. I haven't been the greatest mom. She pressed the top of her egg and vanished. I sit in the lawn chair, hot air leaden and heavy on me. I try to suck more slurpy through my straw, but I've reached bottom and the rattling sound echoes in my ears. I can't hear any cars and the burnt blue sky is empty of contrails. I stroke the smooth outside of the egg in my lap, and then slip it into a pocket. A crow lands on the stump, cocking its black head sideways. Its feathers are mottled and mangy. 
I press the binoculars hard into my cheekbones, trying to recover the sense of excitement I used to feel watching the birds take my bait. I leap up, flailing my arms and knocking the plywood blind over. Crows scatter in a flapping black cloud, cawing their disapproval at me. I lurch to the stump and sweep the shards of glass to the ground. The tip of one piece cuts my palm, and I bring my hand to my mouth. My blood tastes hot and salty. I hitch my shorts up and turn towards the gully, wondering if any blackberries are ripe. story. Hope you enjoyed it. 20th century modernist writer Ermin Broch said, although every man believes that his decisions and resolutions involve the most multifarious factors, in reality they are mere oscillation between flight and longing. Interesting thought. What do you think? Life is nothing if not a crapload of decisions webbed together in sequential order. Are rationale and logic just thinly veiled ways of enabling our underlying rudimentary base values and desires? Are we really that much smarter than crows? Or are we just way more convoluted? Underneath all the feathers and mange, isn't it really still all about the shiny stuff and yummy peanut butter? Somebody should clue the aliens in here. An army of giant warships is probably the worst way to go about taking over Earth. I mean, Will Smith punches an alien in the face. Oh no, you did not shoot that green shit at me! Welcome to Earth! Leave the warships at home, fellas. All you need are some pointy, propped, triangular mirrors to give the curious human a chance for self-examination. I love the final scene of this story, with Doyle all alone, fingering the egg, putting it back in his pocket, the blood on his fingertip reminding him of his humanity. Not all bridges have to be crossed or burned, people. Some bridges are just the dude, and the dude abides. Let's do some listener story feedback. A couple weeks ago, I ran episode 158, Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions by Saladin Ahmed, a story about a burnt-out supervillain. Bold Deceiver said, Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions was one of the best literary deconstructions of the whole supervillain trope I have come across, on par with, if not maybe slightly better than, the wonderful Soon I Will Be Invincible by Austin Grossman. The race social class issues were handled perfectly. The writer expertly skirted the risk of slipping into heavy-handed or didactic, but did so without pulling any punches. The rant about the white kid's martial arts master was fantastic and quite on the mark. Leprawan said, I love superhero deconstruction, so I enjoyed the main story quite a bit. At first listen, it was nothing I hadn't heard before from Soon I Will Be Invincible or How to Succeed in Evil. On second listen, I loved the way the villain's particular hang-ups, like authority figures and white boy dominance, illuminated his character. 
Hatching Phoenix also said, I particularly like Dr. Diablo's weary resignation. He knows the plan is doomed as soon as it starts, and even though he has superpowers, he's caught in the same sort of vicious cycle as everyone else. His ride is just a bit more fantastic. Then the following week, we had episode 159, Intelligent Design by Ellen Clagis, a story about God as a kid and his grandmother making the universe. Rourke's Juror said, have to say I didn't really gel with this one. It seemed like a one-trick pony, and although the voice was good, the story didn't do anything other than punch the God is a mischievous child button. Batnighter, on the other hand, said, I found the story quite charming in its innocence. Although many don't believe in God, this story makes it more personal to the reader because many people have children and can relate to a child's curiosity. I thought the author did a great job in personifying God and how we all are his playthings. Good thoughts from listeners. One of my favorite things about the story discussion section in our forums is how the different perspectives of listeners bring new shades and meaning to stories each week. Sometimes a neat twist on something I hadn't considered, sometimes a completely different takeaway altogether. Join the community. There's lots going on in the forums. Movie, book, and video game reviews, chat about other cool podcasts, a huge library of weird news on the cutting edge, a section where listeners post stories and drabbles and offer constructive criticism. It goes on and on. You can find a link to our forums off our main page, drabblecast.org. And hey, if you happen by the TwitFix section, you might just come across this week's 100-character story winner by Joshua Doach. Here goes. You can hear it nightly, in the flat over the arcade. A dwarf plays sad plastic kazoo nocturnes to a crumpled photo of her. My cat, Carl Ruggles, hates it when I play the kazoo. We pick a 100-character story each week from the forums. You can read the winners early each week by following us on Twitter, if you have Twitter, where I also post things like, well, I just posted a freaky nature documentary clip about carnivorous pelicans. It'll give you nightmares, if you're into having nightmares. So you might be aware of the fact that you didn't have to pay to hear this badass story this week, nor did you last week or ever, for that matter. 162 stories. Actually, if you count Trifecta Specials and our Drabblecast B-Sides podcast, it's well over 200 stories, and you can download them all totally free. And we like it that way. But we need you to donate every once in a while to help us do that. Occasional sponsors, like we had this week with the awesome game Happy Birthday Robot, are just a drop in the bucket. It's your generosity and support that allow us to pay authors for their work each week and present it with a top-shelf production job. We want to pay authors more. We want to be able to buy the best stories we think you'll like in the whole frickin' world. And there's a new way you can help ensure that we get there. We've now got a new, automatic $10 a month subscription option. By taking just two minutes to subscribe in this new way, you'll be making a huge impact on Drabblecast's performance for the rest of the year and into the next. And 10 bucks a month, if you enjoy the show and if it's one of your favorite podcasts, is really not that much. That's $2.50 an episode, or just 2 bucks an episode on months like May, when we'll be having a story on the Drabblecast B-Sides podcast feed. 
It's a good deal on its own. But because you rock just that much, and because I've got a buttload of them still laying around, each subscriber to the new 10 bucks a month instant Drabblecast auto-support option will get a free Norm Sherman CD. Which, say what you will about the buffoon playing banjo and singing about nipples on it, at least has some awesome giant squid album art. Not to mention complete song lyrics and guitar chords, so you can embarrass yourself at open mic nights around the country just like your Uncle Norm. Gonna play a track from the CD as special closing music this week. Hope you enjoy. But wait, there's more. For a limited time only, the first five $10 a month subscribers will also get a free Drabblecast t-shirt. Show your support of Drabblecast and improvements in animal technology with the image of a dolphin strapped to a pig on your chest. People will think you're awesome, and you'll hubristically begin to believe them. Don't delay. We've also got a $5 a month option if you're more comfortable with that number, and a one-time donation button if you like the show but you're afraid of commitment. No pressure, we understand. We're the best girlfriend you ever had. We just want to watch the game with you. What game? Whatever game you want, honey. Whatever game you want. So that's our show. Remember, it's produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change any of it, don't sell any of it, but share it with the world. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever else you feel like it. Help us help you take the world back from aliens. Special thanks to Elon Trinidad for this week's episode art. Really fantastic. Elon's been nominated for a Will Eisner Comic Book Industry Award for Best Web Comic and was an animator on The Simpsons for a while. Currently, he's working on a sci-fi webcomic where a certain animation and theme park corporation owns the intellectual property of God. He's successfully made Neil Gaiman say the phrase Space Mexican, and you can see some of his work at theoryofeverythingcomics.com, which you'll find linked in our show notes. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that Roger loves his dead pig. and lasses and listen to me tale Remember those days when men rode waves to hunt down a mother whale Those ocean waves sent men to graves made widows weep and wail All for the glory of a good drinking story and the cheese of a humpback whale Young Jack Taylor was a mighty fine sailor and he knew how to handle a teat He had whiskey for blood like every sailor man should was the best milkman in the fleet They were out three days when he heard her break the waves with the crash from a thundering tail Off the starboard bow there was a humpback cow Get the milkman ready to sail Get the milkman ready Get the milkman ready Get the milkman ready to sail, to sail. She was a demon whale from the pits of hell. She blew fire from the top of her head. 
She was a meaner baleen than they had ever seen in any nightmare they had in bed. But young Jack Taylor was a mighty brave sailor, and he stood and he raised his fists. Even the devil's got nipples, so get up your sorry cripples and let's milk this son of a bitch. There was hate in her eyes as they tossed the lines to hold her steady and true. She rolled to the side and brought her tail up high and then slammed her back down on the crew. But young Jack Taylor was a mighty quick sailor and he dove as she shattered his boat. Climbed up beside and then he held on tight and he buoyed her down with a rope. Get the milkman ready. Get the milkman ready. Get the milkman ready to sail, to While the crew tried to wrestle the beast The runners tossed ropes and buoys and nets While the greasers oiled up the teats The milkers lined up on the belly of the whale At the captain's orders they squeezed While the nipple master scaled that mountain of tit And filled his barrels To make whale cheese Well that's the tale of that humpback whale And young Jack Taylor too Heard people say that he's alive today And the captain of his own cheese crew also heard that if you listen good and you believe in this old drinking tale, between the sound of the waves you can hear him say, Milkman ready. Get the milkman.